Hey gang, Rick Lee James here. I just wanted to remind you as we begin today's podcast that my new live album and DVD, Basement Psalms Live, is available at rickleejames.com. You can also get it for a limited time as a digital download at getmopix.com. That's G-E-T-M-O-P-I-X.com. Only $5.99 for the full, untut digital concert. You can watch it right on your mobile device from getmopix.com. Make sure to stop by rickleejames.com for more information on everything pertaining to my ministry, my music, what's going on in my life. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head podcast, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and this is episode number 70 of my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have an interesting episode for you today. I actually recorded this a few weeks ago at Lexington, Kentucky. Now, I actually wasn't physically in Lexington. Uh, They used FaceTime and used my iPad and and kind of uh, satellited me in, so to speak, because we had a discussion uh, on April 21st, on a Sunday evening, this was the Sunday immediately following the Boston Marathon bombings, which happened on April 15th. Uh, my friend Matthew Cole, who is no stranger to this show, invited me to come in with a uh, other pastor from his church, Chad Cook, and uh, we discussed where is God uh, in the midst of things like this? Where is God when evil happens? And uh, we had a really, uh, I really enjoyed the forum. So I wasn't physically there, but I was there uh, via satellite, as they say. And we were able to record um, our conversation together with the congregation there at Lexington Calvary Church of the Nazarene in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, so what I'm going to bring to you today is that conversation, that forum, where we're talking about where is God when evil happens. So uh, without any further hesitation, we're going to go right into that this week. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope you find it helpful. And uh, we'll see you again next week here on Voices in My Head. God bless. Um, Chad and I will be using mics tonight, not so much because we think, oh wait, Dave's so far back, he'll never hear me in the fourth row. Uh, But in the process of this, we are trying to record it uh, so that it'll be able to be useful beyond just this immediate conversation. And so if you, uh, as we get to a place to where we're opening up for questions or comments, don't be surprised if Chad or I won. Uh, Basically just uh, repeat your comment, and, and plus I'm not sure how well Rick can um, here in the background, which I just noticed because of the angle of your camera, it's just a head, uh, nothing more. <laughs> um, but the uh, I mean, sit extremely straight and upright the entire time. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it would be very comfortable. Um, but what we're going to do tonight is um, I want us to have a a viable and orthodox answer to the question of where is God. Um, in the midst of the week that we have come out of, um, to simply turn on the news this past week uh, seemed to be a concentrated example of so many things that we see more often, 
Uh, I'm not saying that this week was was one exceptional week, but it just seemed that this week we saw it um, hit close to home in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the pictures I saw was a group of uh, Syrian looked to be teens and young adults, and they were holding up a sign that was in English, and the tra- the uh, the English statement on the sign um, went something I can't remember it verbatim, but it went something along the lines of the uh, bombings in Boston are a horrible example of what we deal with uh, on a daily basis. Our deepest condolences to those uh, who are suffering through this tragedy. And, and I think it was a very effective way of saying, you know, uh, this is something that we deal with on a daily basis. We, we realize it. But it wasn't uh, to belittle what went on in Boston. It was very much a way of showing solidarity. Uh, but since Monday, uh, we've seen the bombings that took the lives, last I heard, of three, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50-some that are still in the hospital uh, dealing with injuries. Uh, this followed up later in the week with the tragedy of the explosion of the fertilizer plant in West Texas, um, where there were, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 that passed away from that. Uh, several of those who were first responders. Uh, we heard the uh, news of the natural um, uh, accident that occurred uh, with the avalanche that killed five snowboard uh, five snowboarders. Last I heard on that particular account. And even in the Midwest, and, and have been following uh, comments from some of my own cousins in Kokomo, Indiana. Is, uh, my uncle, who celebrated his 80th birthday this week, his house is now being flooded by the Wildcat Creek, uh, which is 18 feet above its normal uh, flood stage, and uh, and some of the devastation that's taking place there. And so, it's a viable question to now ask in the midst of all this that is going on: um, Where is God? Uh, what's God doing in the midst of this? Uh, how is how is He present, if at all, in the midst of all of this? And so, what I would like to do is uh, obviously we have uh, Chad here, we have Rick here, and I would like to take just a moment for the three of us uh, to begin a dialogue, uh, not to the exclusion of you all, but uh, to start off with just the three of us and, and kind of give just a little bit of conversation on how we begin to address this question and then also to invite you into the dialogue should you have any questions or, or comments to express along with this as well. Um, is everybody kind of on the same page with that? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think so. Okay. Uh, so the first place I'm going to start off with is, is looking at this particular situation. We're looking at a God who, who we define... Um, at least classically, uh, across Orthodox uh, denominations, um, as being a God who is uh, always present. Um, We're talking about a God who is supposed to, at least in the way that we understand, be all-knowing, a God who is to be all-powerful, and a God who is, in the midst of all these things, to be omnibenevolent, or always good, always loving. And yet, if we serve a God who is omnibenevolent, all-good, always-knowing, always-loving, and we are living in a world where there are things like the Boston bombing, the tragedy at West Texas, the avalanche in Colorado. Um, I believe it was in Colorado. Sorry, I, I just went blank I think on so. that um, yeah. news story. Um, no but in the midst of all these things that are piling up, um, where is God in the midst of this? And uh, Rick, Chad, do either one of y'all want to begin by addressing that? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay. That's such an easy question um, to answer. I don't want to waste your time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, there are certainly uh, many different ways, I think, that people have approached this. Um, and people continue to approach it, whether it be 
um, scholars or theologians or um, just everyday Christians, which are theologians as well. Um, I think some people, uh, whether they want to admit it or not, will say that, well, you know, they, they, they take a few different approaches. One is, well, God is completely separate from that. Um, meaning that God had nothing to do with that, either in a good or bad way. Uh, we talk about God being all-present, um, but they don't really necessarily believe that. Um, and then there are some that feel that God not only is present in that, but God in some way ordained that this would happen, or um, some form of that. And there's another approach, uh, which I think we'll get into a little bit later, about God being present, uh, but not necessarily in a bad way. Um, and so when we look at this issue, I think a lot of the thing we're dealing with is an issue of free will. And this issue that uh, God has given us free will and the results that have come from that throughout history, uh, the decisions that humanity has made and the results that have come from that. Rick, did so, you want to add to that? And the question was, I think, where is God in the midst of this going on? Is that, or what, yes. what was the exact question? Yeah, where is God in the midst of, of the tragedy? Um, I, I, I just think we have to affirm, first of all, you know, if we're Christians, he's the same place he always is. Um, if, if we want to believe that, uh, you know, Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever, um, that God is there in our tragedy as much as he is in our triumph. Um, if, if we really believe in um, the idea that, you know, that phrase we usually only use at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us, um, we, we have to believe as Christians that he is uh, present just as much there in, as he is in, in the good times. But I, I do tend to think of um, there's a book by Ellie Vassell called Night and um, in, in that book it's a book about the, the Holocaust and it's written from the Jewish perspective of, of uh, it's sort of autobiographical part fictional as well but he's standing in line watching the gallows where people are being hung and um, his Jewish family you know his his Friends, his neighbor, just people that have been that he doesn't even know that have been piled in there all together, uh, are watching these people being killed on the gallows, and they're being made to watch this. and And he overhears someone say, "Where is God in all this?" And um, he hears an, an old man say, "God is the one hanging on the gallows right now." and And there's been a lot of ways to interpret that as as if to say, "Well." Some people have said, well, that's his way of saying there is no God, that God's dead, that he's dying with all of our hopes right now. But I think the way that I take it as a believer is that God is is experiencing those things with us, that if God is not God in the darkest places of life, then he doesn't know what it is to be God, you know, because for him to be present with us, for him to be incarnational, you know, part of the reason that he came to become human in Jesus Christ is that he came to experience what we're in. So um, he can't he can't really be God unless he knows that. 
you know if we say God knows all things um, then to an extent without knowing this tragedy without feeling the pain that we are feeling uh, he can't know that so I'm sorry for my long winded answer but those are just some thoughts that come to my mind when I think about where he is in the midst of this if we have these sort of three significant positions one position says God is is so incredibly transcendent that he is absent uh, God is so incredibly involved that he is causation or uh, kind of this this sort of middle view that Chad has pointed out and uh, Rick's went a little bit further with this midst of he is transcendent but he is also intimately in the midst of what's going on to the place to where he is intimately um, feeling the, the, the process of suffering um, if there are these three positions that we go to let's kind of uh, hit on those and, and obviously I'm going to be partial towards that middle position so I want to come to it last um, but what's the danger uh, of us if, if for us if we as Christians begin to answer the question of some people come to us and, and there is this overwhelming urge for us to be an apologist for God, uh, to be an apologist for our faith. And, and while there is definitely a time and a place for apologetics, um, sometimes it can get us into a lot of trouble uh, because we start trying to defend a God who doesn't need to be defended. I forget who originally said the quote, but said the best way to, uh, to defend the line is not to put him in a cage and lock him up and try to protect him, uh, but the best way to defend the line is to set him free uh, because he can pretty much take care of himself. And sometimes we've done that with God and with the scriptures. We've actually taken them and put them in such a box in the attempt to so neatly and clearly explain everything that we're not actually letting scripture, we're not actually letting God speak for himself. So let's start with the view that I think is probably the less prevalent of the three. Um, the view that would just simply say God is, you know, God had nothing whatsoever to do with the Boston bombings. You know, that, that was purely a, the act of, of terrorists. God was had nothing to do with setting the fire and, and everything that goes along with West Texas. God uh, did not, you know, he wasn't uh, anything to do with the uh, avalanche. That's just one of those things that happens. How do we how do we address that and 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 what becomes the pitfall for that? Well, I think um, well, as you mentioned, I think this is probably, especially among Christians, the least popular or the least uh, held viewpoint. Um, but the dangers when you get into this viewpoint of God being so transcendent um, is that you know what are we doing here? Um, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Worshiping a God that probably can't hear us, probably can't uh, understand what we're going through. I think you really have to reanalyze uh, the idea of uh, and the whole concept of Jesus and Emmanuel and the incarnation in general, because it pretty much, you know, just ignores that theology um, and that theology that continues on with us today. Um, you're, you're dealing, in, I think in that case, in a situation where uh, God is just completely irrelevant. Um, God is someone that has created the world, but he has nothing to do with uh, what's happening in the world right now or what's been happening. It's not a God that really interacts in time because he's so beyond that. And so you're, you're dealing with a dangerous position because who would want to believe in a God like that? Who would want to believe in a God that uh, does not evidently care anything about me or uh, anything about 
uh, what I care about. And, and while that particular view does see God as all-powerful, he's created everything, he's sort of put everything into motion, it sees a God as all-knowing, he can sort of sit back and watch everything, it definitely takes away from the, the attribute of him being omnibenevolent, that he is a God who is love, which is, seems to be, of those three at least, the one that's most prominent within Scripture. Uh, Rick, uh, did you have anything you want to add to that? Well, can you clarify for me when you're saying God had nothing to do with it? Like, are you are you saying God had nothing to do with setting the bombs or causing the avalanches? Or are you saying God, God just was not even there? Is it, I'm trying to figure out exactly what you're saying in that statement. This particular viewpoint that we're, we're looking at right now, and, and of course this is an extreme, and I realize that there would... There would definitely be variations on the theme as you got closer down the spectrum. But, but just trying to look at the extremes right now, this would be more the extreme of um, the Creator God sort of made everything, He spun it into existence, and He says, I'll be back at the end. And, and sort of has stepped away. Very, a very deistic view. Uh, but it is unfortunately one that, that does hold at least some prominence within uh, many Christian churches. Um, incorrectly so, but still there. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I just wanted to clarify and, and make sure that, um, and we're we're not doing like, <laughs> we're not doing like you want me to defend a position whether I don't believe it or not, right? We're just no, talking. no, no, more, more the issue I'm of sorry, what, I'm, what's the pitfall of that. Okay, okay, I wasn't, I'm not trying to make trouble, I'm just wanting to clarify. Yes, yeah, sure. That's supposed to be Well, I, I think the biggest pitfall is it, is it just uh, denies one of our most basic beliefs as Christians is that, that God is active, that God is in the midst of, of us and he is doing things. Um, and I, I, you know, it'd be hard for me. To, I'm, I'm not God. And so I'm, uh, I want to answer for him and I want to fall into the category of, you know, like you said, being very apologetic and defending God all the time when I run into this. Um, but when I think about the the real pitfall of it is is it it does kind of neuter who God is you know it it's sort of well he's there but but who cares everything is supposed to be done by me anyway um, par- parts of that I can understand parts of that are are not even necessarily anti Christian because I do believe that God wants us to do I mean. The book of James is about works, you know. It's about faith without works is dead. Um, but that's not to say that God isn't the driving force behind our works, too. Because I, I our belief as Christians, um, if we're going to be orthodox about it, is that God truly is moving and God truly is working. Um, so to me, that would just say, if we say that God wasn't involved at all... Um, my, my view of God, and I think I'm correct scripturally in saying this, is that God is always speaking and God is always moving. God is, his message is going out, but our receivers are not always picking it up. And so to say that he wasn't a part of it at all would say, um, not even to say that he caused the bombings or he didn't stop the bombings or anything, but somewhere in the midst of that, Somebody was not hearing, <laughs> you know. I guess that would be kind of where my viewpoint is going. Sort of like there's radio waves in the air, but unless we have a device to pick it up and properly turn it on, we're not hearing that those radio waves, which are present in the air at this moment. I mean, right here in the room where you're at, there's cell phone waves, there's radio waves, there's 
internet signal that I'm on right now, I can't see any of this. If I didn't have this device in front of me, I couldn't even project myself there tonight. You know, so I guess that would be the pitfall, sort of, of saying he's not there at all uh, in the midst of it. Is that um, who are we to say that? You know, <laughs> it could be he's there and we're not picking up on it too. So I don't know if that makes sense. Sorry. But. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, let's take it now to the other end of that same spectrum. Uh, if we've talked about that at one end of the spectrum is this concept or this idea of God being so. Um, and I think sometimes the reason that that mentality comes up is we, we so want God to be pure and holy that, that we're sort of washing his hands for him. I think that's part of where we get this tendency to do that. We're, we're almost uh, taking up for him to the extent that we don't want anybody to ever assume that he had anything to do with any suffering, that we, we, we actually do ourselves harm by, by divorcing him from it completely. But the other end of the spectrum, and I think uh, much more prevalent and considerably, at least from my perspective, more dangerous, um, is this mentality that, that God is so um, eminently involved um, in, in what's going on in creation. And we use this phrase over and over and over again, and, and it kills me how, how many times we'll use it at a funeral is we actually then take on the mentality that, well, of course he's not um, uninvolved, but rather there's always a reason for everything. It's kind of the, the easiest way to sum that up, that God's always got a plan and he's always got a purpose for everything. And no matter what happens, um, you, you sort of, well, I don't, I don't want to go much farther with that, but, but we, we, we pin God in as he's got a reason for this. And so whether we're talking about the bombings uh, whether we're talking about Hurricane Katrina, uh, whether we're talking about a, a loved one who, who loses a family member, uh, we come up with sometimes some very, um, um, in the long run, silly platitudes that say things like, well, God needed another flower in his flower garden, or, or God needed another angel in heaven, as if though um, God couldn't handle that without taking away our flower or our angel. Um, so uh, kind of address uh, from your all's perspective that opposite end of the uh, spectrum that, that puts God as uh, his will is causation for everything. Do you want to go first this time? Uh, it's up to you, man. If you want me to, I will. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I kind of, when I think about that, um, you know, I kind of joke around with my Calvinist friends who, who do believe a lot more in that, you know, that God caused everything and even a joke that they'll tell you know one of them's walking and he falls down the stairs and he gets to the bottom stands up and goes whew glad I got that over with you know like <laughs> like there, like there wasn't any way to stop that you know there's no possible way God pushed him you know and um, I, I think that the real danger of, of that kind of mindset to me um, is that I, I I believe especially in our tradition, God has given us choice. One of the most powerful things, um, he's given us not only the gift of life, um, but he's given us um, a will that that needs to be aligned with him and, and needs to be changed and needs to be transformed. And um, I, I just don't subscribe to that belief that there is a reason for everything. Um, at least a reason, I mean, there is a reason things happen because somebody did something and the result happens. I don't know that this is like a preordained God thing. To say that would mean that, that God had a reason 
um, for a child to be molested. That well, that was God's purpose, and, and He ordained that, and that was the only way to get His plan done. Or uh, He ordained that um, you know somebody would be abused uh, by a person terribly in some way, uh, and we'll say things like, "Well, God allowed that to happen." I think the pitfall with that is if we're going to take our words for what they mean, um, we're saying that that God allows it, like like a parent would allow you to have a cookie after dinner, you know, like, well, I'm allowing you to do that. And so a real danger to me is even when we say those statements like that, like God allowed this bombing to have happen or God allowed um, just whatever terrible things that we can come up with as human beings, it, it would be as if we said God per, God permits it like he's okay with it. And we don't mean that, but that's what our language means when we say it. So I think a better way maybe to look at it in my view um, especially since I'm since I'm a new parent you know and I'm discovering new things about what it means to be a parent there's certain things that I'm going to allow and not allow in my house in my home and uh, there's certain things that I will allow and will not allow my child to do um, but it's also a matter of relationship if my child chooses to willingly defy me you know if they're not supposed to run out in the street in front of cars i tell them not to because uh, they'll get hit by a car if that child is willful enough i'm not allowing him to do that but he might run out there and do it anyway you know and the effect is going to be because he has removed himself from relation with me in, in the way that he's disobeying that he's going against it it's not that i've allowed this it's that, you know, we are disobeying. And so, I, I, I don't know, the whole thing to me, it, you know, Chad mentioned free will a few minutes ago, and I think it's a very dangerous thing to say, you know, God ordained this, and, and he, he caused this bombing, it's the only way we can look at it. Um, I, I just don't think that's true. I just think if he's given us free will, then we actively, sometimes the further we are from God and the more we lose relationship with him, the less like the image of Christ we become and we can actually run away from that and cause very ungodly things to happen that he is not okay with, that he does not allow, and uh, that he does not cause. So, okay, thanks. Um, real quickly before Chad responds, um, I also want to throw in there that if we're using this language of a God who is all-powerful and we're using this language of a God who knows all things um, and, and some of the more sovereign terminology that we often place with him at the very point where we get into that language and we're affirming it if we turn around and in the same notation uh, same conversation use phrases like god allowed it's really difficult to separate causation and allowance uh from a god who is all powerful um and and i think that that also is is the same uh, issue as what you're getting at to say that to say that you allow something and that you're okay with it um, really does push God to not only be just okay with it, but as an all-powerful God, um, pushes us into that place where he's also going to be the author of it before too long. I, and, of course, that's there's a danger, too, in that of saying, you know, how, how do you balance that line of saying, well, he doesn't allow it, but he didn't stop it, you know, exactly. so I guess he must be not have power either, you know, so he's not there. So that, that's another, you know, side to the argument we don't have to get into right now, but that's also, that's kind of the conclusion some people will go to, and it takes them back to that other extreme we just talked about. Well, I admit, um, this is one that 
I particularly struggle to understand this this viewpoint, if you will, Uh, just because I think when I was younger, I just, you know, automatically assumed that this was the way God worked because that's what I was told. But when I began to think about it, what the implications are of this viewpoint and um, what I believed about God and what I believed that the scriptures taught about God, uh, I began to realize that if I was going to hold this viewpoint, I'm going to have to give up something as far as um, what I hold about God. And that would have been, if I would have held that viewpoint, I think I would have had to have given up this idea that God is all, benevol- all benevolent or you know, God, this God is fully good because if God is you know, allowing these things to happen or God is causing these things to happen, then he's causing evil. Um, and I don't think an all good or all benevolent being would be someone that's going to be causing these things. And so ultimately I just abandoned that viewpoint because of this reality that I could not justify in my mind either through, um, through the scriptures or through uh, philosophy or whatever you want to say is, you know, ultimately that, you know, God is not really all good if he's the one causing these things. Um, another thing I want to add to our conversation looking at this end of the spectrum is there's a very real temptation that if we, if we turn everything into, um, and, and like you said earlier, there's a reason in the sense of cause and effect, but not so much in the sense of there's always a purpose, that, that there's this preordained, preauthored purpose behind everything. And, and I think if we're not very careful, number, we'll do two things. Number one, we will really downplay the reality of evil. Um, and we will actually get to a place to where we, we almost lull ourselves into a sleep of not realizing that evil is a very real force, that, that evil is a very present thing. And, and it can get us to a place, you know, we said on the other end of the spectrum, God is neutered. On this end of it, the church becomes uh, the one who gets neutered because it, we, we look at something atrocious like the Holocaust, and, you know, well, I, I guess it's got to happen. It's got to be that way. And, and we may sit on our laurels and do nothing because what we've done is we've so downplayed the reality of evil in our world that, that we become kind of numb to it. We become sort of these people who see it and just set it aside. Um, several years ago, whenever the movie Hotel Rwanda came out, there was this incredible scene uh, where the hotel uh, 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 manager, uh, Paul Rusesabinga, um, is in a room and he's working on a, uh, an air conditioner and there are several uh, British and Belgian uh, film crew individuals who are in the room and they get this footage of the actual carnage going on in Rwanda where, where literally they've caught on camera uh, people going after other people with machetes and chasing them into ditch lines and just slaughtering them in ditch lines and one of the cameramen who's become a close friend with the uh, the hotel manager, he turns and he apologizes and he says, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have had to see that, I apologize. And, and Paul's character says, no, 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 it was horrible for me to see, but the thing of it is, I want you to show that because if you show that on TV, then England and America and Belgium, they will have to see the atrocities that are being committed here and they'll have to send help. And immediately after that, the, the cameraman says, I am so sorry. Because he says that won't happen. He says what will happen is, is we'll show this footage 
and and in the West, people will be eating their dinners. They'll put down their fork and say, "That's horrible," and then they'll go back and finish their dinner. And and if we get into this mentality where everything has to be just for a purpose, it can become very easy for us to just ignore the reality of evil. Uh, the second thing. Uh, that I wanted to talk about there is I think sometimes we do disservice on this end to God, not necessarily by talking about evil, but sometimes when we're talking about good. Um, the example may go like this. Uh, a person is, is driving down the road and uh, they look over because their cell phone beeped and they, they wanted to see who they missed a call from because, of course, they're not going to text or answer the phone while they're driving. Uh, but, but when they look back up, the car in front of them has stopped and so they slam on their brakes and they, they lose control of the car and it spins around three times and before they know it, they're in the opposite lane of traffic and there's oncoming traffic and they just barely miss them and, and thanks be to God, God spared them their lives because He was so good and, and He's so awesome. And, and we have this tendency, praise, praise be to God, that, that's a beautiful thing. But now how do I say to the person who that same day or a year later or whatever, um, uh, you know, they were in a similar situation and their phone rang and they looked down to see what it was and they looked up and hit their brakes and lose control and went into the opposite lane of traffic and get run over by a semi. Uh, does that mean God didn't like them as much or God needed them to be his flower? Or, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, but, but we open such a can of worms and... And I don't want to downplay that God is a God of protection and safety and, and who is always watching out for us. But I think we also need to realize that even in our world, there is still coincidence. And, and, and sometimes um, there is just this reality that God is not up there saying, okay, I'm going to save you from the car accident, but you I don't like so much. So you know, I'm going to let the train hit you. Well, it's, it's sort of like, too, that... Is it okay if I chime in here? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's sort of like, too, you know, we... There are things that God has put into motion in this world, too, that He allows us to control. If we think about even, you know, in our um, our own creation story, our own narrative, you know, God has given man dominion over things of the earth. And... We don't always extend that to things like the automobiles we drive and things like that. But it's true, you know. I mean, there is a sense he, he's given us power, in essence, to drive as those of us that can drive. And so there's some responsibility there. So we and, shouldn't start uh, singing, Jesus, I, take the wheel? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, Jesus, take the wheel. That's right. But isn't it, isn't it true? It's like that old... That old joke where the guy is... Uh, I'm really not trying to tell jokes all night, but it just these stories remind me of that. But it's you guys have probably heard the story where the guy says, um, you know, there's a flood coming, and he and they're telling everybody to get out, you know, because you're gonna it's going to be flooded. You're going to drown if you stay here. And he stays at his home, and he says, no, God's going to save me. So a guy comes by in a truck. He says, come on, man, let's get in. And the guy says, no, God's going to save me. And then... Uh, the water keeps rising, so he gets up on his porch, and a rowboat comes by, and he says, Come on, man, get in. And the guy says, Nope, God's going to save me. And then he climbs up on his roof because the water's getting so high, and a helicopter comes through, and he says, Come on, man, let's go. We're going to rescue you. And he says, No, God's going to save me. So, you know, the guy drowns and dies, and uh, he gets to heaven and asks God, Why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a truck, a rowboat, and a helicopter. Why didn't you, you know, <laughs> hop on there? So there, there is this sense... In which, you know, that kind of argument, we, 
we we remove ourselves from the equation, you know, and, and we forget about our own sinfulness that's involved in acts like these. We forget even about our own goodness. Um, if we want to talk, you know, incarnationally, I, I believe God is there doing just as much good in the midst of something like a bombing, not not by the bombing itself, but think of those people who are, think of firefighters or policemen or whatever. They might not, They may not even know how godly they are being in that moment when they're rushing in or you know take a 9-11 or whatever um we talk about the power of evil in those moments but there's something about the power of good that god has instilled as well that sees something like that and and that to me that represents his presence as well in the midst of that tragedy of, of these amazing heroic things that people are doing or ways that they're trying to alleviate all this suffering that's happening you know and and I don't know, I'm, I'm probably going down different rabbit trails, but that's kind of what I see with these things, too. When we're driving a car, there is some of our responsibility in that as well, you know. <laughs> so There's also a reality, um, moving on to kind of a different uh, point of view that's there. Um, there's also the reality, and, and I know the two of you have realized this, and I think anybody who's been in the church very long at all realizes this, that um, the world paints with very broad strokes of its paintbrushes. And so once they hear one view, it's very easy for them to say, oh, well, you're a Christian, so therefore you must agree with any other Christian I've ever heard or anybody who even claims to be a Christian, y'all uh, must think alike. And so uh, Chad was telling me earlier today as we were having lunch that he had heard this sentiment uh, with the Boston bombings. I hadn't heard this one yet, but I had heard a similar one with the Hurricane Katrina that the, the reason that... Uh, Hurricane Katrina, and I, I want to think it was Jerry Falwell that might have said this one, said the uh, uh, the reason the Hurricane Katrina hit was because of homosexuality in America, or maybe it was divorce rate, but I've heard both of them connected with some uh, particular tragedy or another. And uh, Chad heard uh, one comment made uh, from some uh, more fundamentalist uh, uh, viewpoint that said that the Boston bombings were a result of our our stance on abortion, and that was God punishing us. Uh, what do y'all think on that particular uh, front? <laughs> what, did he, what did he say? I missed what he said. Uh, Ellen said no. <laughs> oh. Um, I, I would not be a fan of that view, and, and in fact, I would, um, I would say it's a very selfish and nearsighted viewpoint of things um, because it, it, it uh, it's sort of like my problem with things like the Left Behind series where everything is Americanized we're paying no attention to the incredible suffering around the world that's going on as you made uh, note earlier um, because if we if we take that that view of things you know first of all well it hit us and this is God's punishment well what did God do to punish the little child in Sudan who got hatcheted? You know, I mean, what what could that child have possibly done that was so bad to deserve that? You know, um, and I think it's a very, I think that view is selfish and it's a very westernized view of things. It doesn't care about, it doesn't have concern for the rest of the world because we, we're thinking it's all about us and, and what we do. And I don't know, I, I just look at it as a very, a very sad, very self-centered viewpoint that, that, that doesn't even acknowledge the suffering that has been going on for so long around us by so many people elsewhere in the world. 
So, and, uh, and Chad, do you want to add to that? I agree. <laughs> um, I, I really do think, and, and like I said, it's a very selfish viewpoint. You do see a, a hint of this in Scripture, you know, whenever Jesus is challenged. Um, why is this kid blind from birth? Was it uh, his father who sinned or was it his mother who sinned? You know, whose fault is it? And, and, and it does yeah. fall under that umbrella of there has to be a reason or a purpose uh, for absolutely everything that happens. And so, therefore, we, we think we have to trace everything back. Um, and that leads us now to a transition uh, point because I also want to, to open up uh, real briefly at least for a few moments on questions. Uh, but it leads us to a place now to where I think the, the transition term I want to look at is the issue of what we would call normative or normality. Um, I think one of our great temptations, especially in, in the age of modernity where we have been so trained to think under a scientific model that anything that's true you should be able to take into a lab and you should be able to reproduce it and it should be able to be proven, there is this, this temptation to even with our tragedies make them normative. Uh, to say, well, you know, my, the tragedy that took place in Boston obviously has to have some direct correlation to the tragedies that take place in the Sudan, and they must have some direct correlation to the tragedies that take place in Syria. And, and we sort of try to tie all these in together and, and in some way make them normative in the plan of God, whenever the reality of it is, it's much more often each of them are their own separate individual cases. And when we begin to understand that there isn't this sense of normativeness to evil, um, it opens up the door for us to get to sort of this third middle-of-the-road view that says that God is transcendent, uh, that, that He is all-knowing, um, that He is um, um, all-powerful, and that He is all-benevolent, but He is also intimately aware of where we are. Uh, we've used the language already of Emmanuel. And that he is a God who is with us in the midst of our tragedy. How do we as Christians, when someone in the workplace or the marketplace or the classroom, ask us, so where was your God? Um, where, Whenever you say God was on the gallows, how do we as Christians answer in a faithful and honest way uh, to a world around us that we serve a God who is intimately with us? in the midst of the suffering that we see. I'll let Chad go again first. It's his turn. <laughs> if you want to, if not, I can babble for a while. I'm just trying to formulate in my head what I want to say. So if you want to go ahead. Okay, I'll start. Then you can break in. Stop me when I say something that's not right. So. Um, well... <laughs> I think it's I think it's funny to an extent because science is such a new thing to us in like the the realm of history. Like no, nobody in Scripture or in the Bible had any concept of science in the way that we do today. I mean, they looked up at the sky and they saw a dome. You know, they thought, well, there's a big dome up in the sky. And it even talks about it in Genesis one, the firmament is actually literally translated the dome. And so they're looking at this, and they aren't going, "Oh, that's uh, the moon," and you know all these galactic things. I guess my point in saying all that is they had a way of viewing the world that we've since found out through science is not necessarily the correct way. But that doesn't mean that the revelation of God was waiting on their science to catch up before He could reveal Himself in a way that they would understand. You know, and I I think 
And some of that is too. God is not waiting for the science or for the proof to catch up with what He's doing. <laughs> you know, um, and a lot of this goes back to what we've been talking about with uh, our our need to want to always have a reason for everything and our need to want to defend God. And I love the illustration you used of of letting Him out of His cage. Um, part of me wants to say to things like this: Why don't we ask God? You know, why, why don't we turn to Him and uh, and spend some quiet moments with Him in His Word um, and really discover where He is in the midst of this? You know, and and why don't we maybe um, if we look at it in terms of mission and and if we really believe that we have given ourselves to Him to be used for His service, um, maybe we say. Lord, I'm not going to just send a check to Boston. I'm going to send myself to Boston to be the very presence of God in the midst of all this. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm if I'm getting far away from what was originally asked or not, but I I do think there's something to be said for seeking God and allowing God to speak to us. There's this point where we're going to be like the people who supposedly had wisdom in Job. Who were giving all these answers about God, and and even Job himself, <laughs> you know, refuting all his answers. No, that's not right. And then God comes in at the end of the story, and Job has to just place his hand over his mouth because when it comes down to it, he doesn't know all that he thinks he does, and neither does anybody else in the story. So go ahead and break in, Chad. I'm probably getting in trouble here. But. No, well, I and I think another issue that we have to deal with is. Uh, the reality that, especially if we're, you know, talking culturally, um, here in the West, I mean, we don't really feel a lot of us that we need God in our everyday. I mean, we have a job that will provide money for our home and provide money for our food and, uh, you know, the things that we need in life. And so we haven't really um, established this among our churches that we have this deep sense of need of God. And the presence of God and to experience that presence of God. And so when tragedy comes and things like that, people don't know how or don't know where to search for God. And they don't know what God's presence is like and uh, how to experience God's presence. They don't, they don't know how and they don't know where to look. And so that's another thing I think that we have to, have to overcome is getting them to understand that you know God's presence is with you. God is with you during this time. Uh, you know you experience a, a loss of a child. You know God is with you. God is God is extremely sad. Um, and we think this you know this idea that you know God is so transcendent and so beyond that God's not feeling hurt. Well, I I think in this viewpoint we have to understand that God's hurting with us. He's mourning with us. He's feeling that. But with our culture. You know, they unless they absolutely are so desperate that they can't find another option. A lot of us, even as Christians, are not really even considering God's presence at all. Uh, along those lines, it's almost. I, go ahead, Rick. No, no, you go ahead, then I'll. I'll I was just going to say along those same lines, it's and and kind of connecting back to what Rick said earlier. You know, maybe we should just ask God where He's at. Um, that that part of it is is we've we've so seldom looked for him on any other day 
um, that, that sometimes we don't even recognize him moving in the midst of uh, the tragedies and, and in the places where he's in the hands and feet of first responders, where he's, he's in the midst of hospital rooms and holding the hands of, of victims who, who have been so uh, horrifically disfigured from these explosions and fires and avalanches. And uh, he's with individuals who are trying to find a place to spend the night because their home has been taken in a flood or a hurricane. And, and even along those same lines, and just to, to go uh, along that same conversation as what Rick had said uh, earlier, he, he used the phrase that, you know, that, that it's not just sending a check to Boston, excuse me, not just sending a check to Boston, uh, but, but hopping in the vehicle and heading to Boston. But even in the midst of what little we know so far, that if places like uh, Chechnya um, is where the suffering began, that we're not just heading to the Boston for the result, but maybe that we're also heading to the Chechnyas of the world, the Sudans of the world, to embrace the brokenness there and to say God is with you as well to, to sort of give a direction before there is such atrocity and suffering. We're representatives right. of the presence of Christ right. physically. And, and with that in mind, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a very short thing. This is a great book. I don't know if you can see. It's called Unconditional. Uh, by a guy that is, I don't know, I'm, I'm quickly becoming a disciple. Uh, I've had him on my podcast a couple times. Brian Zahn is his name. Uh, fantastic writer, great preacher. Um, but in his book, Unconditional, which is actually dealing a lot with the same problem, but this is dealing with the, the, the idea of forgiveness. And if, if forgiveness is not true on the level of the Nazi Holocaust, then, it, then the gospel is a fairy tale. And uh, towards the end of the book, we were just discussing this in Sunday School this morning. He says, the hope for peace that I see is where the disciples of Jesus don't just watch in admiration as Jesus carries his cross, but practice an imitation of the same kind of cross-bearing forgiveness. This is the kind of Christianity that is not a chaplain to the status quo, but can really change the world. And um, I, I really do believe that that as incarnational as Christ was, that, that God still wants to do incarnational things through us, uh, especially in the midst of this you know, tragic suffering that we're dealing with um, and, and all over the world. And we can't, in saying that, when we talk about being the presence of God, asking where he is, asking what he's doing, we need to remember, too, that if we believe Jesus is God, we serve a God that says not only help the suffering, he also says pray for your enemies. And I... You froze. Um, it's, it's a little scary to me as, as a Christian because it turns into, again, uh, well, we got them. Go USA. We're number one. Yes, you know. And the idea that a Christian's belief is actually... Not that we don't believe that there needs to be repercussions for, the, for these people's actions, for these bombings. They need to be brought to justice. But we also believe they need to be brought to Jesus. And, and they need to be brought to redemption. And, and so in the midst of this tragedy, if, if we're talking about what God does and what his people do, we see a very clear image of who God is in that he is the God who won over his enemies by submitting to the suffering they inflicted. And a God who has risen from the dead in Jesus Christ, if Easter has changed the world, it's changed it by Jesus inviting those very same people to his table. And um, 
you know, and we don't hear words of condemnation at the table with Jesus. At the table with Jesus, we hear things like "pass the hummus." You know, um, it, it's it's really something about Christ inviting even these terrorists or whatever you want to call them. Something about forgiveness is we're inviting them back into their humanity again somehow. It doesn't mean there's not punishment. It doesn't mean that they. They don't in some way have to answer for what they've done. But as Christians, if we believe God is like this, then we have to become like this as well. And, and it is a, tr- a tough transition moving from a place to where the world has told us that justice is perfectly or completely punitive, whereas Scripture reminds us that justice is infinitely redemptive. And, and those are two very different final outcomes. Both may be involved together. Uh, but the final outcome of, of one is radically different from the other. Um, right. Before we, we close out, and uh, we've been going now pretty close to an hour, um, now the you, you've listened to us jabber on for a while. Um, how about you all? Do you have any uh, questions that we probably can't answer, but at least we'll throw stabs at and then say, yeah, I really have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So totally disagree with the God sits back and watches everything and totally disagree with the God caused everything. So like very much agree in like the God is in the midst. And you kind of started to go into a little bit of the whole free will thing. And I totally understand free will in the sense of the bombing or um, things that are directly caused by our involvement. But I'm wondering how can you explain that um, in terms of natural disasters? Or an avalanche or the flood, is that also just part of the fall, the fallen world? Um, and I still agree that even in those instances where maybe it wasn't our causing, that God's still in the midst of it. I'm just wondering how does that play out? I, I don't know. For uh, Sorry, did you want to answer that? Matt? No, I was actually just going to say, now one of you all take a stab at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I have a really good answer for it other than that, um, you know, just as much as, as we are living and moving and having our being in Christ um, I, I think this world is created the, the simple answer I guess the scientific answer is to these natural disasters and things um, plates shift you know I mean things just move it's part of creation moving and groaning and doing whatever it does uh, it, it just so happens it's I don't know that it's necessarily nature's fault that we decided to put our house at the bottom of the mountain where the avalanche was going to happen because some plates moved, you know. Um, so there is some of that. I don't, I don't want to say that that's God's absence in the midst of that because I don't want that to sound like like God wouldn't be able to, to stop it or whatever. But I, I feel like there is, uh, to me anyway, there's just some natural occurrences too, and they're, they're tragic and they're sad. But when we think about it, there's a lot of avalanches that happen all the time that that don't involve people that aren't near. You know, I mean, it's just it's partly just how the world works. I mean, um, we've known that there's a San Andreas vault, uh, uh, fault, not vault. There might be a San Andreas vault too, but I don't know. Um, there, but we've known for some time that there's this huge fault line that one day could possibly mean. California is going to just drop off in the ocean if they get a big enough earthquake. A lot of people have not seen that as good enough reason to move away from California, <laughs> you know, uh, or to start making plans otherwise. And those same people might, in the same breath, you know, when California, do, you know, let's say it happens, 
and it's kind of like, well, how many years have we known that this was a possibility, you know? Um, and so I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but I, I think there are some natural happenings too that that just are going to happen, you know? So probably a terrible answer, but that's my take on it, I guess. Um, before I get to you, uh, I also tend to... Uh, I agree with that, but I also tend to... Uh, fall into the camp that believes that when, you know, we send as humanity that Earth also in creation also uh, has felt the suffering of the fall as well. Um, and so whether or not uh, those things happened pre-fall, um, I tend to think they probably did not, uh, or at least in the disaster area, but maybe they did. Maybe that was just the way... God created uh, the world. Also, um, I think you have to deal with uh, situations as far as, you know, God has given us dominion over the world, and yet there are times where we have not taken the best care of it. And so when we think of things like acid rain or stuff like that as a result of pollution, I'm not trying to say we all should be tree huggers, but at the same time, we have a responsibility to take care of the earth as, as much as we possibly can. I personally like tree hugging. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but but along those same lines, I, I, I kind of, you know, and and Scripture doesn't directly come out and say it has to be this understanding, but but we we do believe in an understanding that whenever we're looking towards the eschaton and we're talking about the redemption of humanity, it's not just the redemption of humanity. Scripture tells us that all of creation is is waiting, is groaning, is in birth pains, longing for the day that things are going to be set right. And and we look at, at even how we talk about sin as never being just a, a private situation, but there's always social and far-reaching implications, even for our most, uh, what we would perceive as private sins, um, that, that we have failed to, to maintain creation it was, as, as it was originally to do. We have invited in thorns and brokenness. We have invited in toil and pain and, and enmity. And in doing those things, there's going to be ongoing ramifications. Now, it's not to say that every single earthquake is the result of us, you know, we've reached a certain level of sinfulness in the world. But, but we've set in motion things, and, and now we are continuing to deal with the ramifications of a world that is just simply broken and, and will continue to be broken until it is completely redeemed. Can, and, and I might add to that too. I'll I just say, and, and I, I apologize, but I'm going to actually have to leave. We're doing something here at the church right now. I need to get down for. Um, but some of this too, I, I do want to be very careful to not speak for God on these matters either. As much as I chafe against, like some sort of explanation saying, "Well, it was man's sin that, that caused this or whatever," um, I, I don't always want to be so quick either to say, "Well, I I don't know, maybe." Maybe God did have something sometimes, you know, to do with this. I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to speak on His behalf unless I felt certain that He had uh, He had said to me, you know, "Oh, son of man, say, thus says the Lord," you know, <laughs> that I did this. But to an extent, if I really believe in the power of who God is, who am I to say? Too. I mean, there are sometimes maybe God is. I mean, we certainly have our share of things in Scripture where. Um, God is the one who controls the waves, and God is the one who 
who causes the mountains to crumble and uh, the same one that says if with the faith of a mustard seed you can tell it to cast itself into the seed um, I, I just want to be careful I, I usually run as far as I can from that kind of argument about you know well God was enforcing his wrath on that but I don't want to again I don't want to remove God of his power to do something if if that was his way too you know so and I, and I think it goes back to where we were talking about earlier about things being normative. That that yeah. you know to say every earthquake must be God's punishment, every hurricane is right. God's mad at that particular coastal city, which apparently all people who uh, who are major sinners live in uh, you know hurricane paths or tornado alleys and you know and along the San Andreas Vault, as you said earlier, uh, or vault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but and I know you know I, I know I would. I know I'd be a lot quicker to say, well, thank God if, you know, some natural disaster caused the end to something like the Holocaust, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so in, in the midst of that, I'd go, hmm, maybe. Um, so I don't know. Hey, it's been great to be with you guys, and I'm sorry I have to I have to run, but I do have to run. So um, you guys have a good rest of your discussion. Thank you for including me. And uh, if you have any questions for me, tell them my email, Matt. Okay, so, will do. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> All right, talk to you guys later. Blessings. Right, bye. Ellen, you had a question? Daniel and I were even talking about this morning about how impossible it is to really understand Easter if you've never been to a Good Friday service. That that if you've never experienced the if if you've never taken really seriously the, the impact of the cross, Easter really is nothing more than that Sunday that everybody comes wears really nice clothes and you do an Easter egg hunt. But if if you've experienced the the reality of Good Friday. I mean, you're you are so eager for the sun to come up on Easter morning. You can't wait to sing "He's Alive" that Christ is risen. Um, and, and I think that that's actually an incredible point that you make. And, and uh, uh, well, go ahead. Did you have something you were going to say? No, I mean I agree with that as long as we don't take it too far. Yeah. Um, you know, just saying. You know, I think someone that has. I don't necessarily think that someone who has experienced great pain versus someone who has experienced less pain is going to, you know, um, uh, uh, rejoice in, um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, I I mean, I know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to verbalize it. Well, it's kind of like the uh, illustration uh, conversation I have recently where they were talking about, you know, that the church in America doesn't know real persecution because we're not persecuted like these other churches. I said, so does that mean a a child who has only been verbally abused isn't really abused compared to the child who was sexually abused? Well, they were both saw horrible realities in their life. 
but just because one might be, we might see one as worse comparatively speaking, doesn't belittle the pain. And, and I think that goes earlier that if we're not taking seriously the power of evil, but going back to what Ellen said, there is this, Agreed. you know, this this mentality of we really don't live in a Pollyanna world. We don't live in a world where things are always perfect, but we live in a world where there is brokenness. And when you live in a world where there's brokenness, broken things result. Not because God intends them or allowed them or planned them, but because it's the reality of living in a broken world. Um, one thing I, I wanted to say to sort of wrap things up, because again, our, our initial question is, so where is God in the midst of this? Romans 8 is probably one of the most quoted statements when we get into this conversation about evil and the problem of evil and and suffering and, and the statement, you know, the, the uh, phrase there in past, that passage says, you know, and God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And it's amazing how those three things, God, all things, and those who love him, really can take major, uh, a major shift in that passage depending on which one you, you put there. And to be perfectly honest, I think we have that tendency to, to use the little cliche, we've put the emphasis on the wrong saliva. Uh, we, we've really pushed those to where the emphasis is either on those who love God or the all things, and we've taken the emphasis off of God himself. If the emphasis is on all things, then we make God the author of everything, that God has to be behind everything. If we make the emphasis on those who love him, then we take the emphasis off of what God is doing, and we, we put it so much on us that God has to be so intimately aware of us that we can even become selfish, like we said earlier, and we have this very closed-minded view. But I think if we're reading that passage honestly and the emphasis stays on God, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, then what we discover is, is that God doesn't author bombings. He doesn't intend or allow for bombings, other than the sense of he gave us free will and we can will to do with it what we want to. Uh, not that he allowed the bombings, but he allowed us to have free will. But in the process of us having this more, more uh, open understanding of who he is and how he is working amongst us, then what we begin to say is, is he's not just a God who says, okay, let's see, today is April 21st at 8 o'clock. I'm going to do this. I'm doing this at 9 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, Chad's going to do this, and so I'm going to have to come in and fix it at 11 but rather, what, what's going on is the sense of God says, I am with you. And when we talk about God being omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent, what we're actually saying is, is to, be, to say that he is omniscient, that he knows all things, is to say that our God is infinitely imaginative. That when he is with us in the midst of where we are, no matter what we choose, no matter if it's what he had planned for us and what he wanted for us for our best, or if it's us choosing to, in our free will, totally reject what he had for us, he is infinitely imaginative and can handle whatever we throw at him. To say that he is um, omnipotent, that he is all-powerful, means that no matter what kind of, of mess we make, he is infinitely creative and can fix whatever we mess up. No matter how much we've tarnished creation, he can repair it. And to say that he is omnibenevolent, I think, is to say that he is infinitely redemptive. That there is never a point in the midst of us flying planes into towers, us saying, 
really foolish things after a hurricane hits. Um, being with a family who has lost a loved one to some some rare birth defect and they've had to, to bury a baby. Whatever that place where evil has represented itself. Our God is so infinitely redemptive that he can say, you know what, even in this darkest hour, I can work something out of this to bring you home and to show you love and to show you redemption and to let you know I am still with you. And and to answer the question of where is God in the midst of all this, God is the one who is infinitely imagining, infinitely creative ways for us to continue throughout all eternity to be redeemed and brought closer to him. Um, And that he, he is the God who will never, ever let us go. Hence, while right after he says... He's the God who works all things together for good. He also goes on to say, and by the way, neither life nor death nor powers nor principalities nor, nor anything in all of creation is going to make me stop being God. And me being God means I always love you. I'll always work for the good for you. Any closing thoughts? Um, nothing other than to firm, affirm what you've already said in that my hope and my prayer out of all of this and as we move forward is just that we recapture this theology of the incarnation and the reality of it and the and the way that we live and the way that we understand how God works and that Emmanuel God is with us I don't know if uh, the discussion I had was with you or with someone else I think it was in the past week or two is that when we pray not that we pray that God's presence should be among us because you know God's presence is among us, but praying that God will give us the um, the grace or the ability to recognize his presence that's already there amongst us and that we'll be able to experience it in this real and powerful way. Um, that That's my prayer. Um, that's my hope for this, understanding that God is there. God is with us and being able to experience that reality and being able to experience the incarnation in that really powerful way. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me and my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, You can give me suggestions for future shows. You can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.